Triple Play Fantasy's basketball show with Doc, Coach, and Brass Dadamas starts now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're pointing to that guy right there. We welcome in a man who goes by the initials MJ. This Hooper scored 5,863 points with 11 franchises over his 12 seasons, getting buckets like he's trying to catch rain. He's also a hashtag girl dad and television star as he appeared on Super Nanny. The man who loves boxing (laughs) events and live streams his Instagram on there, preferably while smoking a cigar. If you're ever feeling down, go to his Instagram for some motivational quotes. He might have the nicest Christmas tree I've seen, and nobody is judging if he keeps it up until May. The man with two first names, we welcome in who underscore Mike James. What is going on, my man? How you doing, man? I appreciate being here. It's a pleasure, and I look forward to like, hanging out with you guys today. Hey, Mike, we appreciate you taking some time to talk with us. First and foremost, how's everything been with you? How's your family? Everyone's good. You know, the family is good. Getting ready for the holidays. You know, life is good. I'm on my farm now. I have a hemp farm. And so I come out here, you know, Uh it's like a little, it's like my little getaway and just hang out with my, uh, my growers and just my team. And it's definitely been a good time. Mike, Mike, thanks again for coming on. You know, I, I always like to start with the upgr- upbringing when we do our interviews. And I already know, you know, where you grew up means a lot to you because I'm talking to a man that refurbished his childhood basketball courts in Amityville, New York. So I'm, I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about how Amityville, you know, shaped the trajectory of your b-ball career? Uh, you know, you know, uh, <clears throat> a guy from my neighborhood had a quote on his Instagram where he made the statement, I'm from the neighborhood where, <clears throat> you know, all the tough guys, you know, all the gangbangers, you know, all the killers, the drug dealers, you have to know the difference between, you know, the, and so it's no different than any other neighborhood that where kids had to know the difference between, you know, what street to go down and what street not to go down at, at certain times right. and what people to hang around with and, you know, who the bad people, who the good people. And so, you know, it's just one of those things that I had to filter early in my life, you know, as a child, like, okay, these is killers, these is drug dealers, these is, and so if I want to participate in these things, well, then it was always open arms, but I remained with a dollar in the dream and held on to my dream, believing in myself, even though all this fast money was around me and all my friends mm-hmm. were indulging in it early. I mean, you know, we grew up as kids where you you got your reputation from 10 years old to 16. You know right. what I mean? Like right, you right. was already a gangster by the time you was eleven years old. Kids was getting killed by um and getting shot by grown ups at fourteen because they was um, you know, such a menace to societies already. So if you was gang banging at eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, it's too late. You faking. You, keep doing that. you know, you had to already had that mindset 
when you was 12 years old, 10 years, 11 years old, you already made those decisions to, you know, start selling drugs. Kids were selling drugs in sixth grade, you know, seventh grade. I was looking at kids with brand new, you know, sneakers on and beepers turned on and, you know, having that fast money. And I just, it's, it's everywhere. But at the same time, you have to be grateful to be able for the people that are in your life to help you filter through all of the chaos that's going on around you. Do people look out for you as like a hooper? I mean, not really. You know, I'm one of those people that was really self-motivated and I had more people tell me I wasn't going to um, be something. And I use that as fuel to my fire. I don't think that that's the positive thing you tell to a kid. And mm -hmm. it's hard for a kid to be able to come out of certain situations like that. But you go through those situations to make you better in your future. And when you go through things in your future, it's those things that you went through in your past that can remind you of your strength to be able to overcome any obstacle that you're facing now in life. You know, if you never faced anything in life, when you really, when you face an adversity, there's nothing that can stabilize you that you can look back and say, you know, I've overcome this in the past. And so it'll devastate you. So I can look back for strength at any given time because of all the things I've overcome in my past. And, you know, it's interesting, Mike, I saw that you're the youngest of seven kids and I'm the youngest of three. So I know what it's like being at kind of at the bottom of the barrel. And like you said, you proved every doubter wrong because when you were playing your high school ball at Amityville High School, where you balled out, you earned the nickname, the Amityville Score. I love that. I love that, <laughs> by the way. It might be one of the best ones I've ever heard. So you play your college ball at Duquesne where you stay all four years. Your freshman year, you didn't get much playing time as you started three games and averaged close to 14 minutes. And your final three seasons were a different story, though, averaging close to 15 points per game, three and a half rebounds, four assists, two steals starting 81 out of those 84 games. Now, college basketball has changed a lot since you played. It's now a lot of kind of one and done. But in your day, it seems like freshmen were kind of redshirt. So what was the reason for the huge jump in stats and playing time between your first and remaining years? Was it kind of the work you put in the summer, just being an upperclassman? No, I, I mean, um, <clears throat> John Carroll was my head coach. He told me I was the worst basketball player he's ever seen play <laughs> and that he'll rather have a walk-on start before me. And if I ever shoot the ball in the game, I'll never see the court again. And so that was the main reason why <laughs> I didn't play. You had a lot and, of haters, man. And, and so, But, you know, the ironic thing to that story is that John Carroll, my first year with Boston Celtics, I was my first year starting in the NBA. John Carroll was the head assistant for the Boston Celtics. And I used to make him re I used to make him rebound for me and I used to miss the ball short and make him go. I would never say anything about it, but I would make him like make him run all the way, make him run around the gym after my balls on purpose. And and Jim O'Brien um quit in halfway during the year and John Carroll became my head coach, my interim head coach in the NBA. And I used to look at him while he used to be giving us his speeches or telling us like a little, um, a X and O, you know, at, uh, uh, during timeout, um, um, little, um, put, um, put his, what he put together. And I would just be looking at him thinking to myself, you know, 
look at this. I'm your starting point guard in the NBA. And you told me my freshman year that I am trash. I am no, I am just absolutely. And here it is at the highest level, you know, you're my coach. And I was just used to think like, man, you don't try to break a kid. You don't just tell kids stuff like that. You don't try to make a kid feel like, you know, he's less than your job is to make a kid feel like he can be anything that he can. And if he can't, a kid is supposed to see his own potential and realize, you know what? I am not that good, but you not you're not supposed to be the one to let a kid to break a kid's heart and mind. And it was always those type of stories, you know, that I used to it was just fueled to my fire. And when he got fired, um, John, um, Scott Edgar came in as the coach my uh, sophomore year. And I just, that I just went, I, I was myself. I was able to play and I was third team all Atlantic 10. And then my junior year, you know, I was a little cocky and arrogant going back into the year thinking it was going to be whatever. And I basically had the same exact season I had as my uh, sophomore year and was real frustrated about that and would put in a lot of work going into my senior year and was just a Jason Matthews, you know, I used to play with the Pitt Panthers. He used to do a lot of work with me that year. And I just really was started thinking about being like a really dominant player. And I made first team all Atlantic 10 my senior year. And Every game that I played, I just wanted to I I wanted to prove that I was better than any guard in the Atlantic 10. I mean, and you made your mark. You talked about having that A-10 first team honors your senior year. When you graduated, you were the all-time leader in steals, fifth in assists, 10th in points. And you declared for the 1998 NBA draft, but you ended up going undrafted. And instead, you decided to play with overseas. Look at this, though. I don't mean to cut you off. No, no. Even getting drafted to Duquesne. You know, <clears throat> um, Danny Holzer was the assistant coach at Duquesne, and they came and they gave me my scholarship out the park. You know, I wasn't, wow. they had one scholarship left, and it was at Roosevelt Park. My AU coach was like, Yo, Duquesne is coming to visit you. And I was like, Duquesne, who is that? It was like August, so it was late in the uh, summer. And I was like, what is that? He was like, I was like, is it D1? And he was like, yeah. He was like, you better not mess this up, Mike. You better be in the gym. You better be in the park tomorrow morning. It was like seven in the morning. We was all playing. I made one move, like split like a, a defense, put it between my legs, split a defense, and came down the middle and dunked it. And he saw the move, was like, I'm bringing him on a visit on uh Tuesday. And after the like, I when I went up there, you know, Scott, um, John Carroll, he know he didn't know nothing about me, so I guess that's the reason why he told me I was the worst shooter. But he was like, "Listen, I played against they starting uh, point guards and destroyed them. They loved me." He was like, "Listen, we can't sign you. Just trust me. The first day of school, this is the first day of school." He wrote on like a uh, like a sticky note. He was like, "This is the first day of school. This is the assistant, um, the secretary's name. Call her." You're going to have to go to orientation. Trust me, you got a scholarship. We can't give you no letter of intent. Just come to school the first day and you're good. Like, wow. high five. Like, that was my way that I, so that's what got me to Duquesne in the first place was that story in itself was crazy. That's, that is that's crazy. crazy. So go ahead what you were saying about after Duquesne. Because, <laughs> I mean, what well, what Eric was saying like about after Duquesne was like you, you declared in 98 for the draft. And then you ended up playing overseas with with French and Austria. But I'm curious, you know, what was your training process like leading up to the draft? You know, were 
were NBA teams telling you that you had something you needed to work on to get onto their radar? Or were they lying to you and telling you, hey, I'm going to draft you, just sit tight? Like, what was that process like? Well, I heard that I was going to be a late first round, early second round draft pick. I watched the draft, didn't get drafted. You know, going to Duquesne, really, they they didn't really know what type of player I was. You know, they right. just look at me as just a scorer and really no, really I didn't understand my IQ as a basketball player. And it's just unfortunate my team, the way my team didn't register from, didn't register, wins didn't register the character of, you know, quality of who I was as an um, ball player. And in return, you know, that's what was, that was given. But I decided to, I decided, you know, just to train. I was training hard that summer, and I didn't get drafted. Then got an opportunity. Austria called me. They said they was going to give me like thirty thousand dollars. I was like, man, I'm not going overseas for no thirty dollars, thousand dollars. You kidding me? Like that ain't no money. Like y'all tripping. But nobody else was calling me, so it was like I had to humble my pride, humble myself, and swallow my pride, and you know, accept that job and. Went over there, won a championship, and then said to the next year, I'll come back to the team if y'all give me 40. They laughed at me. I said, all right. So went back home that summer, still trying to get an NBA team to see me. And then went to Shalom and Champagne the next year. I couldn't get a job again that next year. After winning the championship, nobody wanted me. So I'm one of the last signs. Shalom won a pro A team in France. They just made it from pro B. They bring me on like a, a trial visit to like a tournament. Like, you know, we ready to, we got your round trip already. Like we bringing you here, but we already <laughs> got your round trip. I go there averaging like 40 in this like tournament, get MVP of the tournament. They signed me to like a forty thousand dollar deal, you know. I wound up almost being like a MVP in a Pro A that year, and it's like that summer I got an opportunity to go to uh, what was it? It was an Ed Pickney Summer League. And that Ed Pinckney Summer League, it was in Miami. And, it, and you know, when we first got there, it wasn't playing me. And we they was playing against the USA um, national team. Uh, Jason Williams, uh, Steve Blake, all of these guys was on the team at the time. And, you know, we was – they played me. And Jay Wright was the coach. So the first game wow. that I was there, they played – they didn't play me so jay wright you know after the game was over he saw me and was like mike james oh he was like he looked at um ed pickney and the other guy that was managing the tournament was like listen i'm gonna tell you guys this this is my biggest mistake one of my biggest mistakes that i've made in uh college uh recruiting was not um recruiting this kid right here he used to be in my backyard since 10th grade, kicking my back backcourt ass every single year. And I watched him. I watched him every year and I did not pay attention to what. So he was just talking all this. And this is after he just won the world, you know, the championship. And so he's a big name and right. I'm sitting there. So, you know, now that gave me some credibility because no one knew who I was. And 
And then when he um, so after that, the next game they played me when they put me in the game. Uh, Stephen Blake couldn't get the ball over half court. Jason Williams couldn't get the ball <laughs> over half court. Like I was destroying them, and they like, who the hell is this kid? Like, who strategy. are you? And so, you know, they played me, and then I killed that whole um, summer league. You know, started um, they started saying going to get me some uh, connections with the Heat. You know, yada yada. And my wife was pregnant um, that year with my firstborn. So she's about to drop. I'm like, it was a big game. Like the championship game was like that Sunday. I was like, listen, I got to go. Like Saturday, I, I can't be here no more. I was like, I did enough this summer. I done destroyed this summer, this summer league like at all year. Like the Heat should know who I am. So anyway, I go home and another player has like a great game. And the Heat came to the game, and they signed him that year. My wife is pregnant. I go home. I haven't seen my daughter, so all of this stuff. So I go overseas again to Nancy that next year. and But now they're watching me. They bring me that year. I moves up for MVP award again. Had a great year at um, Nancy. Um, so that fast forward going that summer, I was living with my wife's um, mother and we was in Louisiana and I was training in a gym that was probably about 110 degrees, 20 degrees, no air conditioning, just a basketball, a bench, some dumbbells, running about six miles every day in that scorching heat, but that's all I had. So the heat called me to come in for a weekend workout. I destroyed like every pre-agent that was there. They said, we couldn't evaluate you in three days. Can you come back? Can you stay the whole week? I was like, yeah. Like, are y'all kidding me? So then I, they brought in other free agents. I destroyed all those free agents. They said, we couldn't evaluate you in a week. Can you come back? Can you stay for another week? It was like, so we did that about three more weeks. And then they gave me a partial guarantee. I wound up being in Miami that whole summer. And then, Going into training camp, I was the last cut and for Rod Strickland. And so, you know, I was I made it all the way to training camp. Um, so I'm like, man, that's cool. I'm going back overseas. I'm gonna make some money now. You know, like I'm I got a name now overseas. And you know, I'm finally about to really get some, I'm about to get on a Euroleague team and I'm about to get this bag. So Chet Cameron was the head assistant. For the heat, he said, Mike, out of sight, out of mind. If you go overseas, they're going to forget about you. Go to the CBA. And I was like, man, I used to always say, I'll never play in that dog league. That's a bullcrap league. I used to be like, ha, 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 look at them guys. I'll never play in this <laughs> league. And the very thing that I mocked was the very thing that I was in. And I wind up playing in the um, – I wound up playing in the uh, CBA, playing for Rockford Lightning. Uh, the first five games, this is probably when I was about to quit basketball. The first five games I was in the CBA, I was probably shooting about maybe five for about I five for about 60, five for about – I couldn't make a shot. I mean, after the game, I'm one for 22, two for 25 – three for 18. I'm like, yo, I'm sitting there like, what is wrong with me? I don't understand this. And I can remember after one of these one for 25 games, 
you know, I mean, I'm missing layups, missing free throws. Like, I'm just, I'll call my wife and I'm on the phone with my wife and I'm just in tears. I'm crying. And I told her, I can't take this no more. I said, I'm too good to watch myself go, play like this. And I said, I don't, I'm not mad at the person that has a hoop dream, but I'm better than the ball player that's going to play in this league, get a 10 day contract and then be back in this league. And I said, if all I am is a 10-day contract ball player, I said, I, I'm not watching this no more. So she was like, no, just hold on, have faith, you know, trust God. And, you know, I'm like, God, I don't understand this right now. So the crazy thing is, fast forward, the next two weeks in the CBA, I'm the player of the week in the CBA. You know, I'm averaging like 35 points, like 12 assists, uh, 12 rebounds, seven steals. Like I'm like, I'm out of pocket right now, how I'm playing right now. And so like how I'm supposed to play, how I expect myself, what I expect from myself is what I was seeing now. Right. And they gave me play of the week. So the San Antonio Spurs was about to sign me. I called someone from the Heat and was like, yo, I, you know, I'm about to go back to San I'm about to, I'm out of here. I ain't in the CBA no more. I'm about to go to um, San Antonio. She said, what? She said, I'm going to call you right back. Next thing you know, the Heat called me. They guaranteed me for the remainder of the year. I'm a young boy. I don't, I wow. think this is the biggest mistake I probably made in my career you know, was not allowing Greg Popovich because to be able to truly see my raw talent. Because the funny thing is, when I was in France, I played against Tony Parker before he came, right before he got drafted by uh, San Antonio. Tony already knew who I was because I destroyed him over there. So it was so, I think that, you know, if Popovich would have saw who I was in my career. I think that he would have appreciated who I was more than any other coach that I would have, that I had. And so you know, that's how my career started. Came man. back to Miami and it goes from there. You, you talked about those, you know, 120 degree gyms where you're running six miles and, you know, the heat are notorious for their stringent conditioning requirements and, you know, brutal practices how did that hit you when you got there? And, you know, did Pat Riley give you any advice or, or any love? Like you mentioned that you think, you know, Greg Popovich would have nurtured you better. But what was that experience with the Heat like? No, nah, Pat was Pat was amazing. There's three coaches that's given me my um my greatest um words in life. Uh Scott Egger, he used to always in college, he used to always say fatigue will make a punk out of you. Mm. and I used to always say I'm not a punk so I won't even fail to fatigue and so it, fatigue always became not a body a physical fight it always I, I realized fatigue was a mental fight mm -hmm. and so I always I always took it like that more than you know giving it to my body I always gave fatigue to my mind and I'm going to fight and I'm going to win and Pat Riley, I remember we was in a meeting. He used to give us meetings every single day. Every single day, we used to have to check our heart rate every week, our body fat. But we used to have yeah. meetings every day. And he'll sit and he'll patrol us and he'll just give us like a 10, 15 minute. Just he'll come up with something 
different every time. Like I used to be like, man, what is this dude going to say to <laughs> And so this one time he's talking to us and the most profound thing that he said, and it shaped my career. It was my rookie year. I had my head down and he said, the way you respect a ball player is by not respecting them at all. Ooh. And I looked up and I said, huh? I said, coach, like screw him. Like, I don't really want to tell you what I wanted to say, but it was like, you know, like F them, like for real, don't <laughs> matter who they are. Like bet. So when I had that mindset, of like just this angry hooper, it was out of a level of respect I have for you. And the level of respect that coach told me how I'm supposed to show how I got respect for you. I ain't going to show you no respect at all. And Larry Brown, you know, Larry Brown, he always used to tell us to play the right way. Play the right way. That means play the game the right way. Always do it right. And, you know, from there, those things has always been something that's always been profound to me. And you know, it's interesting. So we talk about Larry Brown, because you ultimately go to the Pistons, you win the 2004 championship. And now I understand why you and Lindsey Hunter were nicknamed the Pitbulls from Rasheed Wallace because of the aggressive defense you guys played. I think the 2004 finals are interesting because the Lakers had some of the bigger names in the series, Kobe and Shaq, Carl Malone and Gary Payton at the end of their careers. However, the series wasn't even close. You blew them out four to one. They averaged 81 points per game for the finals. They didn't even hit 100 in any game. What was the attitude in the locker room? And I know you still got that ring, right? Uh, of course I do. Well, my dad has the ring. You know, I gave I, – when I won the championship, I always gave all my trophies to my dad when I was a kid. So I looked at the championship ring as a trophy. So I gave it to him. You know what I mean? And he cherished it and he rocks it. But when he on his deathbed, I'm like, my dude, you don't need that no more. Let me go. <laughs> <laughs> Let me... <laughs> this ain't going to the grave with you. You ain't taking that to your grave, dog. You don't need that down there. You don't need that down there. Let me get that. Um, But what was the question? I'm sorry. Just, just kind of the attitude, because I feel like the Lakers were the favorites on paper. You know, relatively, they're coming well, off a three-peat. We, we, it's not we even felt close. Like, we felt like, we felt like, we it's going to be hard to stop Kobe, it's going to be hard to stop Shaq, but ain't nobody else on y'all team scoring. Like nobody else on y'all team scoring. Like we basically was like, we respect you, Shaq. We respect you, Kobe. Get your forty, Shaq. Get your forty, Kobe. Everyone else going to get two points, one point, three points. Like every ain't going to be no Derek Fisher fifteen. Ain't going to be, you know, no uh, Gary Payton 12, no Carl Malone 18. We not know. Y'all guys' water hoses are completely shut off. We know the greatness of those two guys. We didn't take away from their greatness. You see what they did during the series, but look at the stats of the rest of the team, and that was our focus. That's really what made them fall apart. Like Carl Malone retired, Shaq then goes to the Heat, and the Lakers kind of go through a rebuild, so – I mean, you guys play a role in that for sure. So the following season, you're with the Bucks and Rockets. You average double digits per game, mostly off the bench. But one, I want to go to the next season in 05-06 when you were with the Raptors. So you averaged career highs in points, 20.3, assists at 5.8, and rebounds at 3.3. You start all 79 games you play in. 
However, there was an article from the Minneapolis Tribune writing off your big season saying your playmaking abilities and commitment to defense were called into question in stark contrast to your pit bull days with the Pistons. And this is a quote saying, previously James had started only 68 games, so some scouts wondered if those numbers were an aberration. Others felt his impending free agency affected his play, prompting him to seek stats at the expense of playmaking duties. So after that article came out, did you notice a difference in the suitors or the market for your services? Of, of course. You know, the, 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 the crazy thing is I remember I had an interview where they called it like the angry, you know, the angry interview. And what I was what I was saying was it's because of the way I came into this game. I have to almost be perfect in, in order for you guys to appreciate what I do. Right. Like, I I couldn't, I remember they bashed me because I shot like five for 22 in the game, but I had 15 assists and like 12 rebounds. And I'm sitting there like, man, I'm shooting 40, like 49% for the season. I had a bad shooting game, but I'm still have 15 assists and like, I'm still, you know, like what else? Um, what else do you guys expect from me? But because of the way I came into this game, there's levels in sports. In any sport, there's levels. There's three levels. The first level is proving yourself. Every ball, every athlete wants to prove themselves. They want to prove that they belong. They deserve the playing time. They deserve whatever's supposed to be coming to them or more. The next level is they're good they have a certain level of comfort and they're going to play they the coaches know who they are and they're going to play at that certain level of um, from comfort and that's just they, they're not even trying to get better they're going to stay there but they're good and then there's a third level that's the level that's the players that are playing against the history of the game those are the players that are they train they play they don't see their peers they think of the history before them, and this is what they're competing for every single day. So when you see the greatness every single day and that consistency of greatness, it's not because of those guys that they're playing against. They're thinking of those guys that retired 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and they got to catch them. And these guys are in my way. And so me personally, I never made it out of I have to prove myself. So nobody never allowed me to get out of the level I had to prove myself. So no matter what I did, it was never proving myself good enough. I was never good enough. So I had to prove that I was good enough. And it's just something, you know, that I went through in my career that it opened the door for a lot of players that came behind me. You know, when they kicked me out the league and they made me go through the D League. And I destroyed the D League and I had to go sign through the D League. Well, players, NBA players wasn't going to the D League first until I did it. And they realized like you can, you know, ball players realize that they can get back into the game that way. You know what I mean? And teams realize that you can start getting free agents, you know, that used to play in the game to at least like play in the minor leagues and see if they can compete against the minor league players to now make it to the majors. And so I had to go through that. Yeah. Did I deserve it? Not at all. 
But at the same time, hey, but at the same time, though, you know, I'm grateful for everything that my game and the career was able to teach me. But it was difficult because what I expected and believed of myself they always looked at me as I'm just a. I go to teams. They should be like, "Yo, you know, you you just a backup third guard." I'm like, "I'm killing your starter though." Like, are you serious? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, it, it it was one of those things that you go through and you just appreciate it all. I remember I was 39 years old in Chicago. I just was 38 years old starting for the um Dallas Mavericks. And the next year I go to training camp with the Chicago Bulls. I'm 39. And one of the trainers came up to me after um, training camp, like, was um, over. He was like, you know what's crazy, Mike? My uh, A couple of my friends were asking me who were the best players in training camp this year. And when I was thinking about it and I told them, I was like, the best players that are looking like this year is Joaquin looking good, uh, Carlos Boozer looking good. And he was like, Mike James. <laughs> it was like, Mike James, like the best guard on the team right now. <laughs> but I don't play in the game. You know, like I can play when we, when we um, scrimmage, I can't play on the first team because we blow out the second unit. <laughs> I only have to play on the second unit because I'm the only one that can make the games competitive. Yeah. But when it's game time, I'm on the end of the bench. And so this was just the story. You know, I, I'm i curious, you know, with the mentality ha- you have with, you know, the fact that you have to you know, be fearless and, and and sort of not respect guys because you're always having to prove yourself. You know, I read that during each of the last five years of your pro career, you know, you told your family that that year was going to be your last year. You know, what was it that made you decide it was time to hang it up? Was there a single moment or did everything just come to, uh, I to just a point? Got, You know, just training, like just training just to train. And, you know, these guys just seeing that there's they not really seeing no quality in my play and that's and that giving me a chance to prove that I have quality play. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you know what? Let me leave this alone. Like this ain't making money no more. This is boring. You know, I, and so that was the main, that was the main thing. The main focus was I can get this bag off this if I can get better. So the training was really so, you know, I can get this bag like at the end of the day, you know, right, right, right. And when they stop giving you the bag, it's like this game, whack. like it's <laughs> on to the next. Like, I love the game. I appreciate what the game, but you don't put forth an effort towards something that don't um, produce nothing back in return for you. You know, and so and so I realized what you can get from this. So even as an old head, I'm like, man, I'm 38, just started last year. They done gave me two votes for all defensive team. You know what I mean? Like, I'm locking up at 38 years old. Listen, I told Damian Lillard, I would love for someone to just bring this up to him because I remember we just lost to um, LA. We was in like ninth, the ninth 
seed, and we were fighting for the play last playoff spot. When I got the starting position, we was in dead last spot. When I got that, took the um, starting position from Darren Collison, we was fighting for the eighth spot in the um for the playoffs at the end of the year. And um, I remember we just lost to um L.A. Rick Carlisle's ripping me. You know, you I, you think you some hot. You've been playing well. You ain't nothing. Da, 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 da. So I'm salty right now. I'm in my feelings. We playing against Portland the next night. So I run up on uh, I run up on Damian Lillard before the game, and I said, Yo, I heard like this was like his third year. I was like, I heard you that you that next up. I said, you that thing that they talking about now. I said, I bet you gonna bust my old ass, huh? I said, I want to see it. I said, I want to see it. So I'm picking them up full court. You know, I'm turning them. And I remember one time on a screen, it was a screen. And he uh, he he tried to, like, beat, beat me off the screen. And then he passed the ball. And I and I and I said to him and I said to him, I said to my team, hey, watch my man coming off that screen because my man ain't doing nothing tonight. I ain't going for none of that. So I'm yelling this and I'm having I'm having this like back and forth with him, you know, talking trash all because, you know, just defensively. Like that's where my mindset was. And if I would love for someone to bring that up to him. Like, did Mike James ever do that? And I did it in Portland. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's his home. That's his home right there, the Rose Garden. Man. So, Mike, post career, you're involved. I mean, you have a great NBA career, and, and I'm glad. And I'm glad the business doesn't stop. And that, you know, kind of the capitalism, like business mindsets, on your mind. Like, you know, money talks. So. You're involved with 3B Farms Louisiana, which is a certified organic hemp farm, and Next Fight Up, which is a matchmaking company for boxing, MMA fighters, and promoters. Can you talk a little bit about those ventures? Oh, it's amazing. From promoting the fighters, man, I love fighting. Even when I go home with my uh, um, visit my family, we don't talk basketball. My dad and I talk boxing. My dad mm. and I, we've always talked in my family my brothers we get together we don't talk basketball we talk a little bit you know just the generic questions lebron and uh all the uh, stephen curry but they probably don't know no other um ball players that's out there they talking about you know who's hell who got the title and what fights were going on last week and what's happening in the unboxing world and so this has always been my heart and to be able to be connected to the fighters now is a beautiful it, it brings me joy and just to see them giving them a chance to be able to watch their record go from zero to you know world champions but to watch the travel through it all man is an amazing journey and i love being a part of it and i have a great team man you got to check us out nextfightup.com you know we put on shows in uh, houston texas and we put on shows in other uh, cities as well so if you looking to put somebody looking to put on the show in one of their uh, cities man you know hit us up and let's see let's bring some boxing to your city and hey, also, you know, 3B Farms, 3B Farms is amazing, man. Um, I have a great team. I have a great team with me. My grower is uh, Black Albert Einstein. When it comes, <laughs> when it, when it, and he, he has two green thumbs, man. And I'm just grateful for being in this um in this field, especially for the, at this time. 
and we're in the beginning stages and what we're able to see in these um the future is we can't even imagine you know the numbers that we're talking about okay i love hearing that i love hearing that we were talking with mike james nba extraordinaire a guy that certainly keeps himself busy mike we like to get our guests out of here with a little triple play rapid fire some this or that questions you game oh let's do it all right you probably haven't been asked some of these before so the first one will stay with basketball the favorite jersey you wore just based on appearance. I feel like you're going Raptors red. You said my favorite jersey? Yeah, just based on appearance. Based on appearance? I would have to say... I don't know. I played on so many teams. That's, that's you got to choose you one. Know you got to choose Based one. Based on appearance, <laughs> Minnesota. Minnesota right, Minis- had a good look. All right. Minnesota's tough. The next one. So against one of your former teams, and you can pick one, would you rather drop 50 in a game or you hit the game winner, but that's your only points? Hit the game winner, and that's my only points. All right, all right. Then you do a little wave off goodbye. Would you rather yeah. would you rather step on a Lego or stub your toe on the corner of the bed? Ooh, step on a Lego. The same. <laughs> that, that, that corner of the bed hits hard. <laughs> all right. Rank these in order. Pancakes, waffles, and French toast. French toast, waffles, pancakes. That's the right order. I love it. Would you rather for one year, every shower you take have to be cold or sleep on the floor? For one year, sleep, uh, shower cold. Okay. Wow. Take a cold shower. All right. What is the name of your high school crush? My guy, Eric's the feds, man. I want to get you in trouble. I want to get you in trouble. So we can skip this one if you want. She broke up with me. We was together. Then she broke up with me. I, well, I broke up with her, and then she didn't want to get back with me. And I've been hey, that's I her trying loss. every year. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good now. He's got the family. He doesn't, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't think about it. Oh, it's it. all good now. I got my baby now. She's <laughs> mad, happily married with kids. I'm happily married with my family. There you go. <laughs> it's, a, it's a happy ending. I, I saved some of the best 100%. ones for last. No cigars <laughs> or no boxing for a year? No, I'm sorry. No cigars for a year or no watching boxing for a year? Oh, no cigars. Okay. Okay. That was a little bit easier than I thought. That was a little bit easier than I thought. All right. Would you rather find $10 on the ground or find all your missing socks? Uh, Repeat it. Would you rather find $10 on the ground or find all your missing socks? $10 on the ground. (laughs) All right. All right. I like it. I like it. We got two left here. Would you rather fight fight Mike Tyson once or talk like him the rest of your life? (laughs) 
That's pretty good. That's pretty good right there. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. I would, I would right there. I, I would talk like him the rest of my life, and I'm not even. As no, I'm not man. fighting Mike. Not even nope. thinking about it. Nope. <laughs> oh man, you, you, hey, you're smart man. You're smart man, Mike. The last one, you made 687 three pointers in your career. I leave you open right now. How many you're making out of ten? Nine. Nine. I like that. I like that. The next thing I want to see is a video of those nine. Okay. All right. I got All you. Right. All right. Well, I still get Mike, buckets. I was about to say, yeah, it's like riding a bike. He doesn't forget how to get buckets, man. Uh, you know, we asked that to all former players, and the highest anybody has said was seven prior to that. So I like that you're setting the bar high. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Mike, we really appreciate you joining us. Um, you know, before we get out of here, anything you want to plug to our guests, where they can find you on the socials, the websites of the ventures you're working on? Uh, you can go, what is it? Mike who Mike underscore who 13. Uh, you can go to my website, three B Louisiana.com. You know, if you want to order any hemp products, you'll be able to order hemp products from my website and next fight up.com to um, check out when is our next uh, show and how to also order tickets. Make sure you check out all that. Um, and then he is on Twitter at Mike James 7 as well. Thank you, yes. everybody, for tuning in.